0: Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm, from everyday essentials and school supplies, to clothes and decor, to bedding for... Power power naps. (laughs) And regular naps, too. Save on all things college at Amazon. Your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your
1: child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate
0: the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at (laughs) waterfordupstart.org.
1: Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. We have a special episode for you this week, and we are joined yet again by my father for another episode on something a little bit different. This week, as I'm sure many of you realised, we are talking about the CSS Hunley. So for those of you who are clued up on your American Civil War, this will be an episode that you may or may not know. The Hunley is quite an interesting story. Uh, something that's sort of been a bit fantasised for the last probably a hundred years or so, I would have thought, and yeah, quite an interesting story and something that is definitely plays a, a huge part in modern warfare nowadays. So, take it away.
2: Well, no problem. I'm not sure how much you actually know about the Hunley. Not a huge amount. I say I know uh, a
1: little bit about the man, the the man himself, Mister Hunley. Um I know a little bit about the story um but it's not something I'm I'm massively clued up on so this will be
2: a an educating one for me as well. Yeah, well let's hope so. Right, the Hunley, the year 1864. Yeah, so it's towards the
1: end of the Civil
2: War. It is and the place Charleston Harbor.
1: Right, so this would have been a Union blockaded area. It certainly was. Yeah.
2: And, obviously, the Hunley was the CSS Hunley, and it was a, it was a submarine. Yeah. yeah okay. The CSS Hunley, it was also known as the H.L. Hunley, or just plain Hunley, and it was named after the person that actually paid for it. Yeah. He was one of the men involved in the construction, and his actual name was Horace Lawson Hunley, hence the, hence the H.L. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) It certainly does. Now, it was a submarine that played a very small part in the American Civil War. There'd been submarines before that, and one of them was uh, Burnell's Turtle, which actually was the first ever practical submarine to attack an enemy ship. Um, And that was way, way back in 1776, when it was used to attack the British flagship HMS Eagle. It didn't work. It failed, and, and the British didn't even know they'd been attacked. So that's how good the turtle actually was. But in the uh, short career of the Hunley, it succeeded in demonstrating both advantages and disadvantages of undersea warfare, as will be shown when we go start going yeah. into it.
1: Yeah, you'll understand a little bit
2: more as to uh, to why there was certain disadvantages. Yeah. Um, she was actually the first ever combat submarine to sink a warship. Yes, it was, wasn't it? She was the uh, the first ever. So she is, deserves her place in history. And the warship it sank was the USS Housatonic.
1: Yes. And for those of you who don't know, uh, during the American Civil War, the massive, or well, one of the massive advantages that the Union had over the Confederacy was the fact that they had a Navy. Um, the Navy, when installed, had around, I believe, 40 or 40, somewhere between 40 and 45 uh, current warships at the start of the Civil War, um, to which Lincoln asked for another 200, and the Housatonic was one of those 200 to be built during the Civil War to uh, to aid the Union in blockade in the, yeah, the and South. And it
2: was it was a very, very good ship at what it was supposed to do it was yeah. a blockade ship and although the Hunley succeeded in sinking the target it actually sank the Housatonic she didn't return no no it didn't and and she wasn't seen again and for 131 years yeah
1: it was uh, not that long ago I yeah. suppose if you're if you're i say young enough but I would probably go with old enough because it was before <laughs> my time but if you're old enough you probably remember the
2: raising of the the Hunley That's right. Now, so we we start with, this is the Hunley story, shall we? Yeah, yeah, let's go right from the beginning. Shall we go right from the beginning? So let's start, late 1861. The American Civil War had been underway for about six months, and to be honest, both sides had been exploring the possibility of underwater vessels to attack stationary ships. And both sides, the Union and the Confederacy, they started developing and building them. Um, And the Union started to develop one called the Alligator. And the Confederates decided they were going to build one called the Pioneer. And they were going to be the first ever submarines in their individual roles. Yeah. Now, after being built, the Alligator was, to be perfectly honest, a complete and utter failure. While it was being tested, these failures come to light. Now, it had an ore propulsion system it was it was road
1: uh, underwater
2: underwater that's, that's not a very good idea no. yeah no um, aren't stationary are they <laughs> yeah they later changed it to a hand crank uh, on a propeller and that improved its performance but unfortunately before it could ever be used it sank uh, it sank yeah. in bad weather <laughs> so that was the end of the union's attempt attempt yeah. at underwater craft but at the same time that the Alligator was under development in the north, the south was building the Pioneer and one other submarine. So they had two on the go. And not much is known about the other submarine. It's, it's only known about the place where it was discovered. Um, and it was discovered 1878. And uh, it was uh, a place called Bayon... Saint uh, Bay, Bayo. Saint John, yeah. So it's known as the Bayo Saint John submarine. Um, it is available to to view. You can see it. It's currently on display in Baton Rouge. Ah, fair enough. So that is there. But um, we go on to the Pioneer now. The Pioneer was completed in uh, eighteen sixty two. In fact, in February eighteen sixty two, and it it was developed. Around the New Orleans area. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, 1862, the Union was advancing on New Orleans. Yes. So, they, uh, the, the, the Confederate side decided that they thought that this particular submarine was going to be captured.
1: Yeah, you can't have it falling into the enemy's hands when you've got something that potentially could be uh, a war winner.
2: No. And that's, that's, that's right. So, um... They destroyed it brilliant so, so rather than move it rather than move it rather than they were losing the, the battle yeah. the, the Union were advancing very very close to New Orleans they were scared that they they moved the the, the builders moved to uh, to mobile and they began constructing a second submarine the first one that they're having destroyed now they called the second submarine Pioneer two. Right <laughs> original name later changed to one co- they they later changed it to American Diver well,
1: so they're really <laughs> inventive with the names then, aren't they?
2: That's right, so over the course of eighteen sixty two they tried various forms of propulsion, obviously oars uh they tried electric motors um, and they tried steam engines, and they eventually settled on what they call a hand cranked propeller,
1: yeah which i suppose and the the mod, well, obviously with the technology they had probably would have made the That's most not a bad of bad idea sense. Yeah. yeah
2: person in the submarine moving a crank which turned a propeller at the back yeah yeah now the submarine was ready for trials in 1863 so it took them a year um, it needed four men to turn the propeller okay and one to steer it so it had a crew of five it wasn't very big and it turned out to be slow funny that eh yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be very quick. Um, despite this, it was decided in February 1863 that they were going to tow the American diver down to the bay at Fort Morgan and attempt an attack on the Union blockade at Mobile. Okay. <laughs> it sank. <laughs> right. That's a great idea for a submarine, and it? it sank. Yeah. Um, it sank in bad weather. The crew escaped, but the submarine was lost.
1: So it wasn't very good. So,
2: again, at least the it, it wasn't very good. But it didn't deter the designers. I mean, Horace Horace Hunley, who was a lawyer um, and quite a wealthy one, he financed it, and, and a gentleman called George Dixon, who we'll come to later, yeah. they basically persevered with their vision and built a third submarine.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there was a, a thing going out at, at the time because, obviously, going into... 1863 the the confederates realistically were were losing the war um you know they'd lost at gettysburg in in june july um uh, 1863 so they the um confederate president is jefferson davis he he came out with basically a rule for anybody who can sink an enemy ship will get the weight of gold that would have been on that ship um, so if they captured it or sunk it, so for someone like this who, you know, they know this idea potentially is going to work, it was, they could invest in it, and, you know, they'd only have to sink maybe one or two ships, and they'd have made their money back from, from Jefferson Davis. It, so exactly, yeah. It was quite a lot of, sort of, good ideas, I suppose, coming to, to get to get the
2: Confederates back into the war. Oh, yeah. And they needed to. Yes. The they blockade did. was actually working. Yeah. It was doing it was doing its job. The Hunley was described at the time as being sleek and modern. How about that for a description? In eighteen the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, well you've all seen the picture, so you let me know if you think it's sleek <laughs> and modern. Okay. The crew crew compartment was specifically designed and made for the purpose. Yeah. But from the outside it looked like two ships' boilers welded together with a tapered end front and rear. Yeah near enough there was a shrouded propeller at the back with a rudder mechanism and the entrance to the to this vessel as we call, we'll call it for the moment uh, was via two hatches placed at the top one at the front and one at the back mm-hmm. these hatches were small they were 16 inches by 21 inches
1: i'd get a foot in there i suppose yeah well, they're not very, they
2: are not very big you no. know i mean 21 inches is, is less than most people's shoulder width Yeah, my shoulders are fifty-eight. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) and these two um, I wouldn't get in hatches protruded only a few inches above the actual hull itself, so they weren't very high above it. Wow! The whole submarine was only forty foot long. And how many crew did it have for that amount of? Uh, Well, it 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 was designed to accommodate a crew of seven plus one officer.
1: Yeah, I mean, eight
2: people cramped into 40 foot is not... Oh, oh, it was even smaller than that. You've got the one officer looked through very, very small glass windows, two, three inches in diameter, and he steered the vessel and controlled the dive planes. Uh, but the interior was only three foot, uh, three and a half foot wide by four foot tall. So you're pretty cramped. You couldn't stand up in it. Yeah. you were You were hunched over and then there was a a, a rod running down the centre which had a crank on it, and it all of all seven men would hold onto the crank and turn it.
1: I suppose in principle it seems like, like a good idea, but, yeah, I think... Mm. I'm not sure I'd want to do that.
2: No. Um, the commander stood at the front with his head in the forward conning tower while the rest of the crew sat on a plank on the left-hand side. Mm -hmm. And they operated the propeller with a zigzag crank that ran all the way through the interior. Now, to descend, the commander and the eighth man, who would be the first officer, they filled ballast tanks that lay at the front and back of the the main crew compartment. And they were separated, or the crew compartment was separated from these ballast tanks by bulkheads.
1: Right, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But their bulkheads didn't go all the way to the top of the interior; they stopped eight and a half inches from the top. So water simply flowed into these tanks when the valves were opened. Yeah. To such a point where the the the, the, the vessel sank, and then to surface, the commander and the first officer closed the intake valves and emptied the tanks with hand-powered pumps. Very very simple design worked perfectly. It actually did work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, near the bow were a pair of bow planes. They are like wings that could be angled up or down to allow the submarine to go up or down.
1: Yep, makes sense.
2: Yep, The commander operated them with an, with a lever and in an emergency, the crew could lean underneath the crank handle to some bolts on the floor, undo the bolts and they would release some weights that are on the bottom of this vessel making it very light sending it back up to the surface. Okay. Well, it seems like a decent safety mechanism. Yep. I mean, although Hundley financed the the actual project, it was a man called James McClintock who designed this vessel, and he actually became its first commander. He was absolutely ahead of his time with designs, uh, but to be honest, as a leader, he was not very good. In fact, he was far too cautious. Yeah. Now, August... 63 having completed all of its trials with the civilian crew, the people that built it, the vessel and crew were taken by rail down to Charleston to carry out an attack on one of the ships blockading the harbour. Yep. So yeah, so yeah, that makes it. Yeah. yeah, it was there for a month. Okay, yeah, McClintock just kept coming up with excuses. Uh, he didn't want to attack. He was reluctant to carry out an attack. He kept coming up under all sorts of things. And eventually, the um, the military leader in Charleston, uh, General Beauregard, he actually went and seized the sub. And he seized this vessel off of him and went, I've had enough of you. You're not doing what I want you to do. We're going to replace you with a military crew. Yep. Pissed him off. Just a little bit. Then he stuck a person called Lieutenant John Payne. Now I pronounce it the English way. The Americans will pronounce it Lieutenant. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for so your American, it's, American it, listeners, it, well, it's, I flicked
1: it, in between that I'd listening to one of my old episodes <laughs> and uh, I can hear myself going Lieutenant, Lieutenant, and then halfway through it was um the uh the Prince Philip episode. And I can hear myself Lieutenant, Lieutenant, and then halfway through I'm lieutenant and I'm like I'm really sort of getting yeah. into the Americanism, but yeah, I know what you yeah. mean.
2: So they stuck they, they stuck um, Lieutenant Payne in command. Within one week, yep, they organized an attack. So they got their asses into gear. Oh, yes. So you got to think that's not a good move, though. You've had a crew that's been dealing with it and knows it inside out taken off. New crew stuck in, less than a week later, here we go, we're going to attack something. Yeah, they've not, they're have not they not trained completely on it. Okay, so 29th of August, 1863, the Hunley, which is now what it was called, was being towed out into Charleston Bay. So, you know, it, it, it was easier to tow it out to within range of one of these blockading ships and actually give it a go. Yeah, rather than... Rather than absolutely knacker the the, the crew before you even started. While it was being towed out, the crew were in it. Lieutenant Payne actually was standing up at the front. He knocked the lever operating the dive planes. Guess what happened? It sank. (laughs) Yep, it dived under the
1: waves.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both hatches were still open. Brilliant. Yeah, great move. Water just rushed in and it went straight to the bottom and I'm guessing they didn't get out. Well, Lieutenant Payne, because he was at the front and the hatch was open, he just got out, uh, and two escaped from the rear hatch. One was his uh, first officer, Lieutenant Hasker, and the other one was a gentleman called William Robertson. The other five members of the crew, and, and I'll name them just for just name-wise, Frank Doyle, John Kelly, Michael Kane, Nicholas Davey, and Absalom Williams, they all drowned.
1: So a good start for the They Hundley. could not
2: get out. If you're stuck in a tube and the exit is front and rear, and you're in a tube four foot by three foot or three and a half foot, you can't get out quickly. No. No. The, well, the Hunley itself was raised from the harbour, and it was put back into service. Right, so
1: they obviously saw either saw something in it or were desperate for some for a win
2: Uh, I probably think it was the latter (laughs) but surprisingly enough the military found it a little bit difficult to get some volunteers to crew it yeah I'm not surprised after that so Hunley steps in Horace Hunley offers to take over General Beauregard who's in charge of the defence of Charleston went yeah go on then so Hunley found a crew and he found a crew from the civilian builders of the actual submarine one of whom was Lieutenant George Dixon, who we mentioned earlier, and he was going to command the Hunley. Yeah, he was a ve- uh, he was uh, a veteran who had been wounded at the Battle of Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd survived death on that occasion by a twenty-dollar double gold eagle coin, and that deflected a bullet, saving his leg and his life. So uh, he was a he was a war hero. Yeah. And from that date, he actually carried the coin for luck and had it engraved with the words, Shiloh, April 6, 1862, My Life Preserver GED, which is George Dixon. That's pretty cool. And he carried it with him. Now, obviously, we got the new crew. October the 16th, 1863, there was a demonstration outing for the familiarisation of of the crew and to demonstrate that the thing was safe. It was safe. Um, The crew consisted of five Confederate Navy personnel and three civilians. Dixon wasn't actually available for this particular test, so the man himself, Mr. Hunley, commanded it, and it was a demonstration dive. The sub left the dock and it went into Charleston Bay large crowd of spectators watching from the ship and the shore. And the basic idea was for the submarine to approach the Confederate ship Indian Chief, dive underneath it and come up the other side.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, so that makes sense, shows it works. and
2: yeah, Yeah. To yeah. show it could go under the ship. And, of course, it approached the Indian Chief. It dived under the water at 25 to 10 in the morning. And guess what? It didn't come up. Brilliant. <laughs> so this now, is twice now. <laughs> so, so we have this situation where the man who's it's named after is piloting it. You've got seven other men in the crew. Yeah. And it goes down and doesn't come back up. And they couldn't find it. It took them three weeks to actually find the submarine. And when they located it, it's bow which is the front end of it, was buried in the mud, but the back end was still sticking upwards, so it wasn't flat on the bottom, it was slightly raised. They had to wait until November the 7th before they could bring it to the surface. Chains and ropes were used to bring it back up. It wasn't that deep. And when they brought it back up, they put it on the dock, and the hatches were still closed. So, had they have brought it back up after those
1: three days, the guys inside could potentially...
2: Yeah, I don't think there's enough air in them for three days, but yeah, had they been able to find it almost on immediately day, yeah. on the day, they might have been able to... And General Beauregard was present when it when the hatches were actually opened. Now...
1: But that was a smell and a half when that opened.
2: Um, well, when they opened it, the crew members were not in a good condition. Uh, One of the crew members, a gentleman called Thomas Park, was found with his head in the back conning tower. So he was actually in, his head was above the sort of normal level he was standing. Horace Hunley was still holding a candle, and he was in the forward conning tower. But when they checked the whole thing, the forward tank, the valve was open. And That allowed the submarine to fill with water. The actual spanner that was used to operate it was found on the floor and they sort of theorised that Hunley had either forgotten to close the valve or had lost the wrench and was unable to close it. Um, The keel weights that we we mentioned earlier, they had been partially loosened, which basically suggests that the, the crew knew they were in trouble but didn't have time to do anything or insufficient time. And it's most likely that Hunley himself had flooded the forward tank and either forgotten to close it or lost the spanner. The water then fills up that tank. Now remember, there's an eight and a half inch gap at the top. Yeah, yeah. It over it would the water would have filled that, overflowed into the into the crew compartment, the bit that the crew was sitting in. You re- remember something similar that happened about fifty years later? Be the Titanic. Titanic, yeah. yeah the water overflowed the bulkhead into the ship, and it went down and yeah. stayed down. Yeah, there's
1: no way of getting out So of
2: basically, the, the simplicity of the design was actually its downfall. as of course, the front end of the submarine now being heavy, ploughed into the mud, stern, which is the back end, raised, submarine filled with water, crew tried to get out but couldn't release the weights. The two officers, Hunley and uh, the first officer, kept their heads in the conning tower, but because of the water pressure, they couldn't open it against the water pressure. You can't open things because they hadn't thought about the water pressure. No, the difference in pressure. Um, so they just ran out of air. So the two officers ran out of air. The other six men died of drowning. Bloody hell! It's not a nice way to go. It's not because they knew they were going. They when they actually got inside the submarine, it uh, the the people inside were all contorted. Some of the crew were clutching candles. Some of them would obviously have been trying to release the external weight. They were all lying on the bottom. And they would. their expressions were described as despair and agony. Mm. Not a very nice sight.
1: No, and bloatation as well from the water probably didn't make it look even better.
2: It did. No, it hadn't. They'd, they'd expanded and obviously they'd turned black. Now, this is... Uh, Some of the people who had to clean out this submarine, they had to break the arms and legs of the people inside to get them out of those small hatches. Yeah, because the rigor mortar sort of kept them still. It's a horrible thing. Um, General Beauregard, he saw all this and he just went, I can have nothing more to do with that submarine boat. It is more dangerous to those who use it than to the enemy. Well, he's right. 100%, (laughs) percent So far, yeah, he's absolutely right. I mean... Those who died are actually buried in the Mariner's Graveyard, um, were later to moved to the Magnolia Cemetery in Charleston. Um, and just for your information, I'll give you their names, but uh, they were Horace Hunley, the, the yeah. man himself, Thomas Parks, the, the, the other officer at the other end, and then there was Henry Beard, Robert Brookbanks, John Marshall, Charles McHugh, Joseph Patterson, and Charles Sprague.
1: Fair enough. So these these guys, obviously, uh, they you know they're they're still being at least represented somewhere, even though, even yeah yeah even though they didn't actually die in warfare, they they still died yeah.
2: Yeah. Lieutenant Dixon, who should have been commanding it, actually still had faith in the submarine, and he persuaded Beauregard to actually give it one more attempt at attacking the blockade. How how did he still (laughs) have faith in that submarine? Um, The Authorization was actually given, but there was one condition, yeah, and that was the attack was to be made above the water. Kind of defeats the idea of a submarine, doesn't it? Kind of, um, yeah. I mean, the Hunley was designed to do what it was supposed to do against the Indian chief: creep up on the on on the ship, go under the ship, but it would be towing an explosive charge behind it. Yep. Yeah. So it would approach the ship underwater, and if you can imagine, the explosive charge would be floating on the on the surface. It would tow it, and once it got the other side of the ship, it would surface... Detonate. Detonate, and blow the ship up. And the ship would protect the submarine as it went off in the distance. Yeah, makes great sense. Idea. Yeah, yeah. Great idea. Yeah, the principle it? of it worked. Given the restrictions that Beauregard actually put on Lieutenant Dixon... They decided they were going to change the, the things slightly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not going to work now, is it? They, they, they can't do that now. Because obviously, if you're towing something, it's going to get, the rope's going to get chewed up in the propeller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's not good. But to be honest, a couple of weeks earlier, a small Confederate torpedo boat, and it's not in the general what you'd expect a torpedo boat to be, it's just a boat with a, an explosive charge on it in mm-hmm. those days. It actually attacked a union ship, the new Ironsides, and, and of course uh, this particular torpedo boat was called the CSS David. It it's sat very, very low in the water. So what Dixon decided to do was a very similar sort of thing. He would have the Hunley run just on the surface, so basically just the conning towers would be on the surface, Mm-hmm. And he would stick a 16-foot lump of wood sticking out the front of of the uh, submarine. He'd put a 135-pound charge of black powder in a copper cylinder on it. He would ram the ship and back away, leaving the charge on the ship. And when the submarine was far enough away, he'd pull on the cable and that would detonate it. Sort of like a depth charge. Yeah, sort yeah. of like a depth charge. Brilliant. You know, it's, that, that's the only option they've got. Now, <laughs> this is what they thought. This is what historians believe was the idea. They now think that the actual charge was detonated by a different means, but well, that's it. And Dixon found a volunteer crew, believe so, it or so not.
1: people were even stupid enough to volunteer for people something. People
2: were still volunteering for it. Um, and they made several trial runs for this I mean, they they went out in the evenings and they could actually get very very close to the Union ships in fact they managed to get so close they could hear the Union sailors talking on the little picket boats when they were not discovered so they worked out the submarine worked yeah and I Uh, suppose
1: if you're doing it at night time as well you're not if you're you're not expecting to see that you could probably have passed that off as something else maybe a
2: No, that's right. A mammal or whatever. Lieutenant Dixon and the crew left Charleston Harbour on the evening of the 17th of February, 1864, at around 7 o'clock in the evening. Yep. Now, they were George Dixon. He was born in the Midwest. He was injured at the Battle of Shiloh. Okay. Third in command and the first seat behind the commander was a bloke called Arnold Becker. And he was born in Europe and that he was british. he was the captain's cook on the css indian chief the one that the, dem, the the previous sinking
1: yeah i would suggest with a name like
2: becker it would have been been mm-hmm. more british than a gentleman called charles lumpkin was also born in europe he served on the indian chief and he was behind, he was the next person which we call second crank yep third crank and it's the most dangerous seat in the submarine because it's the one in the middle, you've got to wait for everybody else to get out first, it was a bloke called Frank Collins, and he was uh, born in Fredericksburg, Virginia. He was over six foot tall, so you got a big, big man in the most dangerous seat going. And he also served on the Indian Chief.
1: So they just nicked their crew,
2: did they? <laughs> yeah, well, they got volunteers from it. A gentleman called uh, J.F. Now, I don't know what JF stands for, but he was born in Europe. He was an ex-sailor on a blockade runner, and he was the last member of the crew for the Hunley to be recruited. The fifth crank was a bloke called Samuel Miller. He was born in Europe, and he served on the CSS Jeff Davis. The um, final man on the cranks, the seventh crank and second-in-command, was uh, a bloke called Joseph Ridgway, and he was born in Maryland, and he served on the on the on the uh, Indian chief, and the person in front of him on the sixth crank, yeah, was born in South Carolina, and he was originally a Union sailor but changed sides. But he wished. 1862. <laughs> yeah, the time will tell, won't it? Anyway, they all climbed into the Hunley and off they went. I
1: find that, just, just on a side note, I find that quite amazing that he switched sides in 1862 when it looked like the Confederates were about to win. He did, when yeah. They were approaching Washington and you know, then all of a sudden, the following year, the, the tide just
2: completely changed. He gets, so he
1: yeah. probably was regretting it at that point, but
2: yeah, at least he got um, out in a blaze of glory, I suppose. The night was calm, there was a good moon, and the Hunley headed, headed out towards the second line of blockading ships, which is about five miles offshore. The Union blockade commander had instructed the ships nearest Charleston Harbour, so you got two lines of ships, he instructed those um, to put nets over the sides and moved the wooden hull ships further out. Now, there's a reason for that. The, um, they'd been warned. A couple of Confederate deserters warned the uh, commander of the blockading ships that the Confederate Navy was in possession of something called a fish boat.
1: Ah, so they kind of had an idea what they were looking for.
2: So they had an idea that something was coming. They didn't know what, but they moved the wooden hulled ships out. They put the, the steel hulled ships in and they put nets down the side to catch something catch anything and, and entangle anything. So they, they they'd done a reasonably good job at one it. It took the Hunley two hours to reach its target. Wow. So if you're cranking for two hours just to get to the target, they're gonna be knackered.
1: With that was the uh would the hatches been shut for that full two hours, was it just... I would
2: suggest they probably were shut for most of it, yeah. So they um, probably didn't have much
1: much air no they the would only...
2: they, they would have opened the air thing I believe they actually had some bellows that could pump air in and out of the the the, the submarine um, but they were a, a, hunt, a crude sort of system or whether they were actually used we don't we won't ever know um but uh Dixon decided that his target was going to be the USS housatonic um it was a sloop of around twelve uh twelve thousand tons or one thousand two hundred tons sorry. 12, 000, 12, no, yeah, I do that all the time. 1,200 I? tons. I had a crew of 155 and it had 12 cannons on it. It wasn't an unarmed ship. It um, wasn't a
1: very big ship either. I thought it was bigger than that. No,
2: no, it's not, not the biggest. If the Hunley had actually been submerged, then it probably wouldn't have been seen. But it was seen by the Housatonic lookouts. Unfortunately, it was about 100 yards from the ship when it was seen. Too close for the cannons to actually... Fire. Yeah, he can't fire down that that far. So, the captain of the Housatonic, uh, Charles Pickering, reported that he saw something looking like a plank moving in the water. And believing that the ship was under attack, they fired up the engines and they started to basically raise the anchor chain. To, yeah, to move away. To To move away. The Hunley, well... It was too close for the main guns, so the, the, the crew just shot at it with anything they could find. Muskets, rifles, um, handguns. Uh, Captain Pickering even fired a shotgun at it. Right. Yeah. And, of course, after two hours of cranking, the, the crew must have been extremely tired. But they managed to ram the torpedo into the hull of the Housatonic. The 135 pounds of black powder caused a massive explosion, blew a hole in the hull, and killed five Union sailors. Okay. The ship went down, and it it went down within five minutes.
1: Okay. Was it just five that died, or did any more?
2: No, there was only five casualties on the Housatonic. So
1: more people died inside the Hunley than it actually managed to kill. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant.
2: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Successful, then. The ship sank. It, It only sank in 27 feet of water. That's not bad. I mean, it's not bad going. You know, it's it, it, it's not... We didn't go down deep, so a lot of the crew climbed into the into the rigging and then and, and obviously were saved. The Hunley was never, ever seen again. Lieutenant Dixon was um, supposed to show two blue lights after the attack to confirm it was a successful attack to the people on the shore, and two people actually did report seeing a single blue light one was a, a Hussetonic tailor. Um. Sailor, <laughs> uh, yes. Put your teeth in. <laughs> I'm going to have to put my teeth back in <laughs> on that old, one. I'm getting old now, <laughs> Oh dear. One was a Hussetonic sailor, and he was clinging to the rigging, but he was frozen. I mean, it's February. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it ain't warm. So he may have been mistaken. And the other one was a person on shore, six miles away. Right. So and they're the only two out of all the hundreds of people that were actually at the scene at the time. Yeah. And you're inclu- I'm including the other blockade ships as well. So it's highly unlikely that Dixon actually managed to, to, to put, put, a, put a blue light out. The, the fate of the Hunley remained a mystery for about 131 years. Wow. In 1995, it was found... They found it, and it was found in 30 feet of water, but it was actually underneath three foot of sand, so the sediment had covered it over.
1: Yeah, which it would do over the years.
2: Um, it took five years to bring it up. It actually broke the surface in 2000. Yeah. And that's 136 years after it disappeared. Wow. So it's an amazing story. See, um, I don't remember. I mean,
1: obviously, I don't know if that was... Obviously, in 2000, I was... Only ten years old, but you know, I I never heard of this story, and you'd think something like that would probably be.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a it, it it's it's a very interesting story. It's one small part of a Massive. vast American history. Yeah, you know, I mean, we all say that America's got a history of two hundred plus years, and that's but it's it. a Hell of two hundred, but years. it's a lot of two hundred years. Yeah. They've managed to pack a lot in there. There were four theories. As to what actually happened, the torpedo, the explosive, the 135 pound of black powder, yeah. that could have damaged the hull and sunk the submarine. Yeah, you only need one screw to go out on one of these, and it's. Yeah. There was a lucky, it uh, could have been a lucky shot. The small arms fire from the Housatonic could have holed it and let water in. It could have been hit by one of the ships coming to rescue the Housatonic crew. Yeah. Because it's on the surface. You know, it's just, it's just below, or it's just below the surface, and
1: or they were in the harbour as well. So ships.
2: <coughs> oh there. yeah, or either the sub could have dived to the seabed to wait out some time before it was reasonable to surface. Yeah, yeah. They are the four main theories. Now there's been a scientific examination of the wreck because the wreck is now actually on show, and they concluded that none of them were the reason that the Hunley failed to return from its mission. There was no damage to the structure of the submarine, so that eliminates the first three straight away. No damage to them whatsoever. When the Hunley was examined, it was noted that all the skeletal remains of the eight crew were still in their seated relevant positions, unlike on the second sinking, when they were all huddled up and crunched up and... and So they were they were all seated. Dixon was still in possession of his lucky gold coin and pocket watch, which stopped at twenty twenty three, the actual time of the attack. Um and that's Confederate time because the Union time was slightly different. I think there was forty five minutes difference between the union time and the Confederate time.
1: How awkward's that?
2: <laughs> yeah, well it depends where you where you're from, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, but forty five minutes. I mean, I understand the hour time differences on the time zones, but 45 minutes, that's just a big middle finger, isn't it? We're not going to do it your way. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's it. There was no attempt to release the uh, the keel weights. That eliminates the fourth theory. And all the valves on the submarine were set as they should have been for the attack. So they ran out of air. So the main possibility is that the explosion either knocked out the crew and they ran out of air before gaining consciousness... Or the shockwave, yeah. The shockwave actually disturbs and and mushes the brain and internal organs instantly. Mm. Bearing in mind, we're only sixteen feet from it. Yeah, and it's
1: not—it's <laughs> not a foolproof submarine, is it? It's, no.
2: So the conclusion now is that Hunley was just too close, and it was the shockwave that. Uh, destroyed the lungs and brains of the crew, killing them instantly, leaving the submarine to just drift with the tide. And that's kind of consistent because it was found two to three miles away from the wreck uh, of the Housatonic Hmm. on the sea side of it, not the harbour side. So, yeah, so it would have carried on going through and then uh, obviously just,
1: just went down once there's no one there.
2: And the crew, once they were... Uh, brought up in uh, 2000, were actually buried alongside the other Hunley crews in the Magnolia Cemetery, Charleston. Yeah. So, did the Hunley break the blockade? No. It didn't break the blockade. Was it a success? Well, no. I suppose
1: in principle, no. But when you're looking at it as a historian, and I would say yes... So, I suppose for me personally, I would, you know, obviously on the evidence of the fact that more people died in it than it actually managed to kill, no. But then when you look at the pictures of the Hunley and you look at the design of it and you compare that to modern day submarines, it's a similar shape. It's a
2: similar style. It's very, very similar. A lot of the design features of the Hunley are used in modern submarines. Yeah. So, I
1: suppose on the basis of modern warfare, it was a success. Because if we hadn't had that, would we have had the submarines that
2: we have now? Probably not. Um, It was the first combat submarine to ever sink an enemy ship in battle, so it certainly deserves its uh, place in history. Uh, It killed 23 of its own crew, as opposed to five of the enemy, so I will leave your listeners to decide whether it was a success or not. But whatever stance you take about the American Civil War, there is no doubt whatsoever that the crew of the Hunley and that's all three crews were some of the bravest men that are unknown to history. Yeah,
1: I agree with that, because I would say especially the second and third crews. Mm. Um, maybe not... I suppose I would say the first crew definitely, because you're going into an unknown situation. But you know, can you imagine sitting in a, the same seat that three men have died in previous and still yeah. going out and going, do you know what, we're going to do it. So, yeah, I mean... That's that's um, crazy. Um, why
2: did they put the biggest man in the most dangerous seat?
1: I know, just mental. Because you...
2: mind you, I suppose if he was at the front end and he had a trouble getting out, the others weren't going to get I out. Know. So yeah, but there we go. Right now, talking of the Hunley, uh, there was a a group called uh, a singer called Derek Warfield. He released a song about the Hunley. Yes, and I'm going to end with this. Okay. Now, I've got to warn people, it is a song. Uh, If you are offended by some of the words in it, uh, then I do apologise in advance. Yeah. Um, It does refer to the Housatonic crew as Yankees. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, some people do find offensive, and I make an apology for that, but it is part of the song.
1: It's a baseball team. How can you be offended about that?
2: Well, (laughs) I'm not American. I don't know how Americans would, would view it. We just we just let them know. So what I'll do no, is, that's I'll play it. Yeah, and
1: yeah, we'll we'll uh, yeah, I'm 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 happy with that. And yeah, for those of you who didn't know the story of the Hunley, there you go. And I hope you guys, uh, along with me on this, probably learn maybe a little bit more about uh, the American Civil War than what you possibly knew already. So uh, for me, this was quite an interesting an interesting story because, like I said, it's not something I know. A huge amount about i knew a little bit and um you know my american civil war knowledge is is pretty good so i knew enough to to hold a conversation i suppose but there were definitely parts of that that i was sort of going oh that was quite interesting and didn't know that so uh same as pretty much every time i have you on the show to be honest dad we uh i tend to learn something a little bit new so uh i enjoy it and uh just uh, a quick one to you guys who Obviously, do listen to us uh, quite regularly and have, have been on on Facebook and, and emails. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who messaged last time we had uh, my dad on the show um, because there were some really, really nice messages from you guys saying, obviously, uh, how much you love having him on the show and to basically to have him on a little bit more. So, you know, we're going to try and do this a little bit more. Um, I know dad has uh, another episode lined up uh in the in the near future and we uh we talk about this pretty much every week of what we what i'm gonna do and what we're gonna do so uh yeah we, we definitely whenever we can get them get them done we're gonna start putting them together um for those of you who are interested uh, i will know more about um, apple music subscriptions Um that is actually going live at the end of may So if it's something you're interested in, let me know and I shall let you know nearer the time. Um, For those of you who are not interested in that or don't use Apple Music, Patreon will still be running. um, And that is uh, over on patreon.com forward slash this week in history. So if you want to join that, get yourselves over there and you will get access to exclusive shows that you do not get on your normal feed. But thank you for listening. And remember guys, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye bye.
2: Here's to you, the
0: Hunley, and all of your great crew. You sailed out beyond the bar to see what you could do. You sailed into Charleston Bay beneath the funny blue for to break the Union the paid, and to sink the Yankee crew. Commodity, bulgy geographers and all your naval men And I tell you a true story of brave confederates When Twas was in the year of 64, beneath the waves so blue A tube of iron sailed below to sink a Yankee crew Here's to you, the Hudley and all of your brave crew You sailed out beyond the bar to see what you could do you sail in the Charleston Bay Beneath the funny blue Or to break the Union blockade And the Sinky Yankee crew The they lay waiting Two hundred feet of sail Nine cannon at the ready All rifles set to go When in the dark of night Beneath the sea below Eight hearts of grey were on the way To put that sloop below Here's to you, the Hundley And all of your great crew you sailed out beyond the bar to see what you could do You sailed into Charleston Bay eat the bunny blue or to break the Union blockade and to sink the angry crew The Federal saw her coming, but it was too late to act The Hunley had stabbed her prey and made a beaten track Before she left, she pulled the cord that set the night aglow But all the Feds could hear were the cheers from deep below Here's to you, the Hunley, and all of your great crew. You sailed out beyond the bar to see what you could do. You sailed into Charleston Bay beneath the funny room for to break the Union blockade and to sink the Yankee crew. The doodles were a raging to see their ship aglow, and alas, but for all reasons we will never know the Hunley went to leak and deep. Down. Never would she rise again to put on such a show. Here's to you, the Hundley, and all of your great crew. You sailed out beyond the bar to see what you could do. You sailed into Charleston Bay and eat the budding blue. Or to break the union blockade and of the Sinky crew. Auto Parts. (laughs) Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.